0: Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. I want to catch us up, make sure we're all on the same page, so I'm just going to read what was sent out to much of the church this last week. If you didn't get this email, we probably don't have your correct email address. You can fix that by going to yourcalvary.info and letting us know who you are. But here's what it said. Starting on Sunday, we were asking everyone to please wear a mask at any activity that occur, occurs indoors at Calvary, including worship. We know that there are circumstances that make mask wearing difficult for some individuals, and we want to consider it, be considerate of these situations. We want everyone to feel welcomed and wanted at Calvary. We ask you to prayerfully consider how you can join us. Our leadership team is closely watching the hospital capacity numbers for several weeks, and with some thresholds that would cause us to return to mask indoors. This week, those local hospitals surpassed those capacity thresholds, which has prompted us to make this change. Two thoughts there. First of all, we want everyone to feel welcome. There are times and there are reasons why people can't wear masks. It's a judge-free zone. We're not policing it. We're just simply asking people to do their part. So if you can't, we understand that. We're just letting you know what we are asking is if you can, because this is simply about the hospitals. There is no other statement there. I can tell you that I know several people and several of staff have talked to numerous health care workers this week, and they feel like they are drowning. Heard from one that's worked 20 hours a day. Not everyone, but some. And that's why we're doing this. So, we're in just a moment, we're going to pray because I want to pray for our healthcare workers. But the second thing I want to say is people have asked me how long. I don't know. But here's the good news I have a friend in Alabama, and a few weeks ago, their hospitals were inundated. They're no longer inundated. So, everything is for a season. This is not the goal. This is not to stay here, okay? But let's pray for our healthcare workers in particular today. God, we thank you for our healthcare workers. For the nurses and doctors, many of whom are sacrificing the time that they want to spend with their families. The moms who are working extra shifts, the dads who are gone, the husbands and the wives who haven't seen each other but accept to sleep. God, would you bless those families? For those in the hospitals who are struggling, we ask that you be with them. God, would you guard them? Would you help us as a church to live for you? In your name we pray, amen. We're talking about an Exodus series, and the idea of the Exodus series is history is really his story, but it's also our story. And I think far too often we look at our story in just a glimpse of time, and we see it like a Polaroid snapshot instead of seeing the bigger picture. Because when we see the bigger picture, we continue to see a dignified yet broken creation desperate for need of a faithful God. Desperate for need. And Exodus shows us that God has always had a rescue plan in mind. Last week we talked about Moses' birth. And we talked about, aren't we glad that Moses didn't remember his birth? And aren't you glad that you don't remember your birth? That's kind of a traumatic experience, right? But how this life is really us being born into the life that is to come. So there are labor pains, and sometimes this life will be difficult. And so when we look at the story of Moses, and when we look at his story and the story of Exodus, the story of the Exodus is less about us being like Moses, and more of seeing how Moses is the precursor foreshadowing of the true rescuer, Jesus who'd come to help us to range and to look into the future, our future hope, the promised land. Now, today's message is simple. God is going to use us as part of that story despite us. Not to spite us, despite us. So we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, and he's grown up. Years later, after Moses had grown up, see, told you, He went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. There's a chance here that Moses did not know that he was a Hebrew until later on in life. Why? Well, he grew up in Pharaoh's household. He would have been weaned by his mother till he was four and then grew up in Pharaoh's household. And this was not a time when there was a lot of the internet. <laughs> the, the newspaper papyrus didn't deliver to every household. And so he would have very likely been secluded, so he wouldn't have known that he was a Hebrew till later on in life. And that, that's important um, because it, it shows us a little bit more about why he would have done some of what he's done. So let's continue reading, Exodus 2:13 through 15. So he murdered a man, right? And then he went on about his way. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? He replied, who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Dum, dum, dum then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. In fact, it was known, because in verse 15 it says, when Pharaoh heard about this, who was Moses' pseudo-adopted grandfather, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. He fled. You do realize all our wrongdoings will eventually be exposed. Every thought you have, every website you go to, every comment you make will eventually be exposed. If nothing else, one day you will stand before God and you will be exposed for who you are, a a person who is not in the right, a person who is not as holy as you think you might be. But yet, despite our sins, God does not give up on us. Aren't we glad? That God doesn't, doesn't look at your mistakes and your, your faults. And we all have blind spots. We all have things that, that that guide us and guard us in a way that could allow us to make very, very poor decisions. And you might go, why would I make that decision? Let's go back and, and look a little bit more about this. This idea of Moses, what caused him to make this? What caused him to strike the Hebrew. I like to call this um, a display of passionate ignorance. Passionate. He believed he was doing what was right, but yet he knew he wasn't because he looked to make sure no one was watching. Anybody? Is it possible that sometimes we think we're right and because we're so passionate about it, we think that that so how do we know what is right? How do we gauge where and how to live? One of our deacons this last week sent me a podcast, and believe it or not, sometimes I listen to those. <laughs> and I did listen to it this week. That was supposed to be funny. None of you laughed. Okay. And so as I was listening to that, um, I heard this sermon, and it, 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 it just reminds me that God sometimes puts things in our lap and in His timing, and it's wonderful. So this sermon was by Pastor Stephen Manuel. And he asked us to ask the following question: With what culture do you identify? With what culture do you identify? Is it your family? Is it your church? Is it your ideology beliefs? Where are you placing and tethering your belief system? This is important. It's important because we understand and he goes on to say and hear me, I'm going to say what he said. He loves America. I love America. Fourth of July. Barbecue it up, baby. But in all of that process, the church in America, one of the biggest struggles the church has in, America, in America has is we are tethered to the culture and trying to be tethered to Christ. And those don't Work, And so he goes on to say, if we are tethered to culture and are are not rather bonded to the kingdom perspective of God completely, anytime we're tethered to anything other than the kingdom of God, we will be like the Titanic. It is guaranteed to sink your ship. So where are you tethered? And he goes on to give this illustration. Now, granted, this took place in 2015, so I'm going to just tell you that this is a little old. But it's still prevalent. Prevalent today. He goes on to say, you know what? I, I love, I love, he says he collects gray beards. In other words, he likes to talk to older men. And in the course of the conversations, he would ask them questions, and he would, he would say, hey, what, what's your beliefs on this? What's your understanding on that? What's your thoughts on this? And, and one of the things he said was, he asked them in what is their definition of freedom? And he said, all the great beards gave the same definition of freedom. He said, freedom was promoting democracy. You get your vote and your say. And then we are supposed to submit to the government and the results of what the government has voted in for us to follow. And the promotion of freedom across the globe was to allow you to get your vote. Your say is in your vote. Now, he said, anybody under the age of 50 does not define freedom that way. They define freedom as, I get the choice. And I am free as long as I get to do what I want. He goes on to say uh, love is another example of this and how love has changed. And and love used to be, and biblically, I unconditionally accept you. And now it's, you're going to let me do what I want or you don't love me. And if you don't let me do exactly what I want, you hate me. And the church does this too. Let me be very transparent with you. I've talked to a lot of pastors lately. The overwhelming place that most pastors are is they want to quit. They're tired. I don't want to quit. But the reason they want to quit is the church isn't buying into, and maybe this is our fault, is it buying into the real belief that this life is not our home. We're trying to make this world as comfortable as we can. And if the church stands in our way, then we're going to bulldoze them down too. May it not be. Church, our hope is in the hope of Jesus. In his word, in his truth. And if you are tethering yourself to the culture of this day, the culture will change. And you will go down with it. Jesus does not change. So, this affects everything. It's not not just about one issue or another. If your views on sexuality, if your views on the way you get a job, if your views on anything is based on the culture, we're all messed up. We have to trust God who does not change. So, the passionate ignorance, I'm asking myself. Could that be me? Because the reality is far too often it is me. Far too often I think I'm right, and I'm dead wrong. When's the last time you thought you may be wrong? If you haven't thought that you may be wrong? Are you going to finish the sentence? No, I'm not. So as he goes on, Moses grows up, and he's run away because he thought he was standing up for his culture, and what he was really standing up for was himself. He grows up, and he runs away, and I'm sure he is, at this point he's thinking, well, I had a good life, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And he got to live the good life, and all of a sudden he's an outcast. His grandfather hates him. His people hate him. Can you imagine the feeling of that? And he grows up, and he gets married, and he has adjusted to life. And one day he's out, and I'm not going to read it, but it's found in Exodus 3, 1 through 4, and he sees this bush on fire. But the bush wasn't being consumed by the flames. It's kind of like the people who on Christmas Day turn on YouTube on the flickering fire on their TV. Because they want the ambiance of the fake warmth, right? Oh, this fire is awesome. Let me put a marshmallow into it. Uh, now i got to get a new TV. Husbands, don't try that. Your wife's onto it, okay? And so the idea of what are we going to do and how are we going to... He's grown up and he sees this fire. And so he's sitting there going, I don't think it's 2021. I don't know how people have this technology yet, so I'm going to go see what's going on. And he approaches and he hears this voice go, Moses. Moses. In Exodus 3, 4, he says, here I am, he answered. And God responds, don't come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Once again, when you encounter the holiness of God, this is super important. Your first reaction, once again, when you get to heaven, is not going to be, Mom! It's not going to be, Where's Dad? It's not going to be, Unlimited buffet with no calories. That's not good. That's not your first reaction, okay? Your first reaction is going to be to realize that you are in the presence of what is truly holy, what you were created to be, made in the image and the dignity of God, and how unholy you and I are. Moses was like, "Uh uh-oh. God knows my sins. Why not? Everybody else does. But then God lifts us up, and despite our shortcomings, He invites us into His presence. Not only His presence, but intimate presence. I am the God of your Father. Moses was a grown man. Who probably didn't know who his daddy was. This may have been like a DNA test for him. Ancestry DNA. Woohoo! Who's my dad? Oh, cool. I, I'm a descendant of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God's telling him more than he knows about himself at that moment. This is your line, your lineage. Maybe today you need to be told that you're in the lineage of Abraham too. Because the church of the New Testament is supposed to be representative of us. We're the the stars that God promised. The covenant of the Old Testament has segued into the New Testament world where those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ are offered the chance to come into the kingdom of God. And so when the Father sent Jesus, he said, you can become a child of mine. The beautiful part about that is God then knows every detail of you more than you know about yourself. I like to describe it like this. God knows your name and knew your name a long time before you were ever born. And God doesn't look at you as a random number. I wonder what 3,442,000 in Indiana is doing today. He goes, no, no. I know you, and I see you, and I love you. And in the brokenness of the world, sometimes we can forget that. In the, in the brokenness of this world, we can feel cut off. We can, we can feel the pressures. We can, we can, and so we, we look to find hope. And so we sit there and go, where can I find hope? And we tether ourselves to false cultures, false identities, false hope. And God's sitting there going, but I'm here. Come to me. And not only does God know your name, but He promises to be with you. And God always keeps His promises. Exodus 3 7 through 8. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God has not forgotten you. I don't know what you came in here today with, but I've talked to enough people over the last 18 months who are completely broken, right? Who are wondering, how can we go on? And wondering, when does the joy come back? And, And what I would say is, I don't know what's going on. Maybe you came in today with the best attitude in the world. Praise the Lord. But I know there are a lot of people who are really broken. And to those who are really broken, I just want to say, God has not forgotten you. In fact, his promise is that he still cares. And so it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel like God still cares. It doesn't matter if you think God still cares. He still cares. You can't go outside of his love for you. God knows your name. And like a good and righteous and holy father, he has always cared for you and cares for you right here and now. Isn't that good? And while we're journeying through this life, headed towards the promised land, we know he's gonna be there with us. So how do we find security? And how do we tether ourselves to his word? We look to his word to see who he says he is. It's an honest question, really. Okay, if God is so good, who is God? Exodus 3.11, but God, Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God has carried that Abrahamic covenant, the promise that I'm going to be with you, and translated it into a Mosaic com- a covenant. I'm going to be with you. And then he asked him to go do something faithful, and he goes, okay, if you're going to be faithful, and I'm going to journey with you through this wreckage of a life, who Who are you? In Exodus 3, 12 through 15, he answered, I will certainly be with you. This is his promise. Some of you need to hear that today. I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses, God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. What a profound answer. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. Do you get it? It doesn't change. Where are you finding your foundation in something that in 20 years from now will change? Or is your foundation in that which never changes? His name is Yahweh, Jesus, God the Father, the Great I Am. I Am means that God is all that is good and righteous and holy and just. He is everything that is good in this world. And the bad parts of this world are not of God. They are of sin. They are of depravity. They are because sin entered the world. God has not abandoned you. We as a culture have abandoned God. But God has not forgotten you. So, how long will the season last? I don't know. But one of the tried and true illustrations I like to. Say around here is that God is still creating you. And so, whether or not you feel good or bad, He does care. So, maybe today you're caterpillar soup. Y'all know caterpillar soup? Some of you heard me say caterpillar soup. When I was a little boy, I used to imagine that caterpillars would lose their little legs and then they grow their wings. That's not what happens. Instead, that beautiful little caterpillar, which isn't so beautiful, well, it depends, maybe, goes and eats a bunch, gets in a cocoon, and then dissolves. It eats itself to the point where if you cut open a cocoon at just the right moment, soup comes out. And this is a necessary part of the process so that God can begin to create not a better rendition of the old caterpillar, but something that will fly. You feel like soup? Feel like a soup a long time? That's okay. But don't discount the fact that your loving Father is your cocoon. And He hasn't let you spilled out into this world, He has never forgotten you. And he is creating something new in you. How do I know? He is the great I am. So today, here's my encouragement to you. Unhinder the spirit from your life. If you have a relationship with Jesus, the spirit of God lives in within you. It's time to take the lampshade off the lamp and let him illuminate your life. Sin tries to cover the illumination of God in your life. So the way that we're going to practice this is we're going to resuscitate our lives through a little CPR. Here's our daily training. We want you to confess, pause, and renew. Confess anything in your life that is not of the kingdom culture. Confess anything in your life that is of your culture, your beliefs. You have to die to yourself and do what God says, no matter how hard that is. And then, as you begin to confess, we want you to pause because when you're soup, you don't feel like running. Amen. And it's okay to not be okay. It maybe just maybe you shouldn't be going out trying to set the world on fire when you're soup. But at the end of that, you should allow yourself to allow God to begin to renew in you something that is new, that can be used, that can be holy, that will go and change the world around. You want to have life. Practice a little CPR on yourself. Confess, pause, and allow Christ to renew. God knew we would struggle with this, so the Father sent the Son Jesus to die for us. And when He was in the upper womb, womb? Nope, upper room, He gathered with the disciples. And if our deacons will start passing these out, and when you get these, feel free to go ahead and open up. This is communion. If you have a relationship with Jesus, we encourage you to participate. If you don't, we ask that you honor the tradition of our faith and maybe just observe quietly in prayer. There's two levels of this, the top and the bottom. We'll take it together in just a moment. But as Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, he said, you're going to struggle in this world. Why? This world is not our home. It's not And the pains that you're going through in this life are just a little bit of this life. We live for the next. But I am with you. This is my promise. And so whenever you gather, I want you to take the bread and break it to remember that my body was broken for you to remind you that I can still hear with you. So take this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup he said, I have not forgotten you or forsaken you. I am with you. I am with you. My blood was shed for you. This is my promise, my fulfillment to you. So take this in remembrance of me. And then the Bible says they gathered together and they sang a hymn. And they went out and lived for him the best they could. Church, maybe today you need to just pause and pray in your seat. Maybe today you feel like singing. That's great. Maybe you want to come up and kneel at the altar. The floor is hard, but you're welcome to do that. Allow God to move in your heart. Allow God to breathe in you. Allow God to to show you that He is here. He is faithful. So right now, encounter the presence of God and be reminded you're not forgotten. He still loves. So Father, bless this time bless our lives as we try to live for you and trust you. God, we give you this moment. We give you your honor and praise. In your holy and precious name we pray.